0: Welcome to the Pactum. This is episode 138, and we're here talking about things like theonomy and two kingdoms. Mike Grimes, how are you doing today? Doing good today. It's going to be a great episode. We have fantastic. a fantastic guest, an expert in such things with us today. Our guest today is the pastor of GraceNet Community Church in Wellington, New Zealand. He's also the author of Covenant Lord and Cultic Boundary. In addition, he hosts a Pactum-approved podcast. For sure. Uh Uh-huh. Called Two Age Sojourner. Uh, Our guest today is Michael Beck. Hi, Mike, and welcome to the Pactum.
1: Hey, guys. Great to be with you. Well,
0: first of all, some of our listeners, Mike, are going to have a hard time with your accent because you live in New Zealand, but I don't think that really sounds like a New Zealand accent. So what in the world? Where are you from? Give us some background.
1: Yeah, it's South Africa originally, um, but the accent is messed up. What can I say? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I get everything from, from Irish to Russian, Canadian, You know, to, to all, uh, I don't know what happened. I I lived in London for a while. So I I left home, lived there and stayed with a lot of Swedish people. That's going to mess you up. You know that, that you're never coming back from that. Okay. South African goes Swedish. It's just, it's strange. And then, and then, um you know, moved to New Zealand in 2005. So that's also an interesting accent mishmash going, I mean, New Zealand's a strange place when it comes to accents. Uh And so you mix that with what I already had. And I don't know. And then, and then of course, the big culprit, actually, American movies, Clint Eastwood movies. <laughs> Clint not, Eastwood it, movie you know, it, it's really bad when you want to be a cowboy when you're a kid. And, and it's just, you know, I mean, as a South African, it's just, it's messed up. You you're are, not coming back from that.
0: You are a true so. Renaissance man. Yeah, we'll just put wild. it in a positive. <laughs> so did you, yeah. grow, did you grow up in South Africa?
1: Yeah, grew up in South Africa. Um, and again, sort of um, only left when I was 18. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So yeah. what
0: part of South Africa?
1: Uh, Port Elizabeth. Um, um it is jay bay Guys are kind of close to J uh, bay yes i mean my parents lived in J bay for for many years in fact when, whenever i went back uh recently i would always go to J bay hmm. okay because that you know that's we did a lot of surfing and uh uh-huh. that's where you do the surfing so yep. right. um yeah beautiful beautiful place actually was recently there um for the first time in like 15 years wow so hmm. yeah beautiful. i think cape
0: town was the most beautiful place i've ever seen have you been there? Just just one time, two thousand and ten for some conferences. I just oh, thought brilliant. it was just so beautiful.
1: Mm. Yeah, it is. It is truly. Oh. Yeah, so like Port Elizabeth is. I would say uh, it's it's you know it's, I'd say it's almost like the new. Well, it's never going to have Table Mountain, but it's kind of that new. Tourist hotspot, almost a I lot see. of lot of money's being pumped into it, and it's it's a, got a great coastline again, and a lot of good surfing and so mm. forth. Nice. So
0: right now yeah. in Wellington, you're at, that's coastal, right?
1: Yes, coastal, right at the bottom of the North Island, so right in the middle of the two islands. Okay.
0: okay. So I was doing a little research, and uh, one one site said it's the coolest little capital in the world. Why would they yes. call it the coolest little capital in the world? And <laughs> where would you take? mike grimes and i if we landed and we're foodies where would we go first yeah oh wow
1: okay it's the um why, why would they call it? i don't know uh well, we call ourselves the coolest little church in the coolest little capital so <laughs> okay i could get this that. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it's very it's very hipster um it's very artsy lots of lots of students parliament buildings so forth in fact um I've used this description before, and it seemed to work well with Americans. Uh, San Francisco and Portland, imagine they had a little oh, baby, a little tiny baby. That's uh, that's <laughs> Wellington right there. Just a little baby Wellington. Uh, it actually, I, an architect was telling me the other day that they modeled a lot of the architecture, the hills and so forth, um, off San Francisco. So it does actually look very, very similar. Some streets are almost parallel universes. Wow. Um, huh. Yeah.
0: Okay. So where yeah. where would we eat? How about that?
1: Ah, that's a fun. one. I w- I would take you to um I always take there's this place called Abra Kebabra. Abra kababra Oh
0: with kebabs?
1: Uh, yes. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And it, okay. it has not failed. I mean, I've I've <laughs> I've impressed many a people with that with that. Uh it's very unassuming. You sort of feel like you're walking into some weird little part of the inner city, but you know, you enter in and all of a sudden this like Turkish thing going on, and it's just uh man, it's 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 unique. It's unique.
0: It's getting close to dinner time here for us. So Uh, so we're going to have to
1: figure that out and get you guys down to Wellington sometime. We'll we'll work on that. Sounds good. That'd be great.
0: So Pactum listeners, Michael Beck is going to be with us for our conference, the All Things New Conference, October 6th and 7th, 2023. Uh, A number of you are going to be here for that. Right. Yeah. uh, But what he's going to join Daryl Hart, Mike Abendroth, and myself as a speaker uh, and so Mike, talk to us about what you're going to be talking about. Uh, what are your topics? Give us like a, give us a foretaste of things to come.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> ha ha. Um, yeah. I, so the one topic, uh, so I've got like a two part thing going on, the logic of the two ages, part mm-hmm. one and part two, kind of a, a, the, the new creation and the already not yet. And so um, I, I like that. I'm excited about that because that that is basically an opportunity for me to to set things up at the at the beginning, you know, there there is one of my pet peeves is that when people talk about the two ages, they want to go straight to Paul of the New Testament or, and, right. you know, you sometimes fail to realize that all of that is very dependent on this, this, this thing that's embedded in the opening Pages of scripture. So, and once you see that, you can't unsee it. You know. So it's it's. I'm excited to to share that with people and and have them see it in the Bible right from the from the get go. Uh, and then and then in part two, we kind of work through all the way to the New Testament, where that's where the action starts happening with with uh, the new creation kind of intruding into this present age, and you have this already not yet dynamic going on. So hopefully we get a build-up and sense of climax to what Jesus has done for us and where we're living now.
0: Hmm. Good. Good. Awesome. Super helpful as far as perspective and having joy in this life, knowing that there's something better to come. So Amen. They're already yeah. not reality. So can't wait for that. Yeah, Super excited. Great. If we're honest, yeah. uh, Mike, we're stressed here, actually, because we're trying to get everything ready yeah. <laughs> to host all of these people. But by the time I know you what that's like, here, I know what that's like.
1: Good. We've done conferences. It's terrible. I know the stress. <laughs> I-, I feel for you. Yeah. I'm praying for okay, you. Okay, good, good. Yeah. We
0: appreciate that.
1: Yeah,
0: we do. Uh, and we can't get you. Can't wait to get you here so you can try a Runza.
1: Yeah. Yes. Oh man, looking forward to it. Kind of, maybe. I don't know. We'll right? see. Cabbage, not not a massive fan,
0: but we'll see. All right. So let's let's transition and talk about the book. Yes. Uh, I have yes. the book here in front of me. Uh, it's called Covenant Lord and Cultic Boundary. <laughs> subtitle: uh, Pactum. Listeners, make sure you're seated for this part. Uh, subtitle is a dialectic inquiry concerning Meredith Klein and the Reformed Two Kingdom Project. Yeah. Wow. wow. I read that to my wife, Molly, just <laughs> last night. And I said, tell me what you think, honey. And she had this kind of baffled look on her face. And she said, I don't know.
1: <laughs> so, it is so, fun to read that title to people and say, what it, do you think of that? It's true. It's a cool <laughs> so, potty trick. Yeah, it, it is. is. <laughs> you should memorize it.
0: So I'm going to try to convince Molly that we could start having family devotions in it. But I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's going to (laughs) happen. That is a great
1: idea. Yeah. I should do that first.
0: Having said that, uh, Pactum listeners, I love the book.
1: It's fantastic.
0: And I I truly love the book. I read Mike's dissertation before it was the book and enjoyed that, was edified. And now I've read the book and I'm rereading some sections. Um, I, I love it so much. I asked our books, bookstore manager to order 40, 40 copies. He said, four, Oh, I said, four, (laughs) Oh, and I think he just told me we're going to get more in for the Pactum conference. So uh, it's a great book, uh, but it's definitely not for everyone. The message is for everyone. Uh Um, and so I want people to buy the book who are pastors, who are academics, who like challenging reading. If you, if you can read Calvin's institutes, you could read this book, Uh, um, but beware it's, It's, it's heady, it's academic, but the message, the message is for everybody. So we're going to talk to Mm, Michael mm. Beck today about the message of it. So you can listen if you're a scholar and it'll help you to explain it better. But even if you're not a scholar, maybe you're like Molly Abendroth, uh, who is wonderful and godly, more godly than I am, but uh, the the title had her baffled. Mm. So, I hope I'm not sounding too negative about the book. No,
1: I'm not I was either. feeling pretty negative about that. I mean, that, that, that sounds pretty negative. Not a lot of positivity. No. Can we turn the ship around? Hey, can we go? <laughs> I, we've
0: we already purchased 40 copies, so I, I bet that, nobody that's else true, has that's done true. that. You
1: <laughs> can say whatever you want about the book after you purchase 40. You can do whatever you want. I'm rich.
0: So, let's do this w- with uh, Michael Beck today. Let's start by saying you are on an elevator. I think in New yes. Zealand you might say a lift. Do you say lift right. there or do you
1: say elevator? Yes, we do. I okay. do. Okay. I so so yeah.
0: in America, you, you have to give an elevator pitch or a lift speech mm. maybe in New Zealand. Uh, let's say you're with my son who's 15 years old. Um, let's say he's interested, but you've got to explain in two minutes. So it's a tall building. Uh, the elevator is mm-hmm. going to make a lot of stops. In two minutes to Owen Abendroth, a full 15-year-old, uh, what is the book about and why should he care?
1: mm well, is Owen classically educated, Pat? <laughs> <laughs> Owen
0: attends a private Lutheran school, a conservative Lutheran school. So the answer okay, to well, that is well, no. We know what
1: those, know what those <laughs> classically educated kids can read at 14 and 15, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, like, right. I've only read about this. I've never seen it in real life. <laughs> okay, so I'm, good. I'm, so so the answer is no.
0: Yeah.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I would just hand them my book straight up. No. Um, the um, – uh, yeah, I would say. Look, I, I have actually had a, a bit of experience with this because I've got kids, and mm-hmm. uh, and um, you know, uh, had to explain it to people at church, and and basically, it's what I say is okay. You're you're a Christian, great. That's that's awesome. You're a Reformed Christian, even better. Well done. This is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're soon going to realize if you're especially if you're a teenager, you're going to get out there into the world and and uh, soon realized within reformed churches and reformed Christianity, you know, people have a lot of heated debate around what it is that you should be doing in the world mm, yeah. and uh, what what it is that the church should be doing uh, as a local church on mission. And, uh, you know, the, you could, you could waste a lot of time and, and get agitated reading the blogs about this, mm. uh, because they, they get nasty and they shout at each other and, and it's, it's very sub-Christian at many levels. But, um, you know or you could read my book, you know, which is which which is so much better no I'm just kidding it it is um it, it tells you about what 's at the heart of all of this, which mm. is this thing that is worth your time, and that's to work out covenant theology, so you could read pat 's book first okay. and then w- once you got pat 's book down, you know you know what covenant theology is about. My job is to come along and just take you through the various points, the touchstones there, and show you why they matter. Uh In terms of that question, as to what it is that the church should be doing in the world and what it is that you, as a Christian should be doing by way of cultural engagement, and then you can get out there into the nasty, crazy world, university, mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. and uh you know you 'll be solid, good no one 's going to sway you that's, no, good. that's and, good and that was a good warm up
0: because you will meet Owen <laughs> Abendroth when you 're in Omaha, <gasps> Nebraska for the conference and and Fantastic. we'll see how it goes we'll see how yeah. it goes so looking forward to- <laughs> we're we 're talking about matters of Christ and culture, right, Mike. Yes. Yes. Good. Now, now another elevator ride, let's say you're at the evangelical theological society and there's a PhD in systematic theology (laughs) and uh, you introduce yourself and he says, oh yeah, I've seen your book before. What is it about? Um, what what are you going to say to that guy for two minutes who actually has a PhD in theology about
1: what your book is about? Hmm. Mm, yeah. Was he classically educated? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we got a lot of weird PhDs out there. <laughs> as, as, you're, as you're thinking
0: about your answer, I was on an elevator at an ETS meeting one time. I've only been once. I don't think I'll go back again. I'm not an academic. But we were on the elevator with Clark Pinnock. Uh, oh, pa- wow. I mean, packed him, listeners. Clark Pinnock's theology is not packed him approved. Um, <laughs> no. But literally, it's like he couldn't find his way off of the elevator. I'm, I'm not even... It was like sad. Really? He was... He had more Whoa. going on than bad theology, but anyway. Huh. So let's pretend like Clark Pinnock's back from the dead. And yeah, Okay. Wow. <laughs> and he wants to know <laughs> what Michael Beck has written about. What are you gonna say?
1: I'd say right. Uh, the book presents a dialectic inquiry concerning the way Admirative Klein's covenant theology serves as an architectonic substructure for reform two kingdom thinking. <laughs> perfect mic drop Got i don't it. even need two minutes I was okay just do that. That, that's seconds.
0: that's perfect oh, that's all right we we, we we can accept that
1: that's, we'll accept that's that. funny <laughs> no, oh. let me let me let me develop that a little bit all right so you know just just so that people you know it's not crazy talk because you know architectonic is a big word it's my yeah. phd word there but but the um you know just so warfield for example spoke of um uh, the Westminster confession based on this architectonic principle of covenant theology, Mm. right? It's the, it's the thing upon which everything else gets built. Um, and the dialectic inquiry is just the research methodology. So PhDs are usually in the know about that sort of thing. And, uh, and so it's just this, you know, thesis antithesis, what client says to other people, what they say back to him. And then, uh, you know, you just kind of evaluate the whole spiel at the end. And, um, one of the things, uh, you know, that's, that's good. Well, you know the the book title. Uh, the reason I left the book title the way that it was is because it's sort of it's a bit of a tip of the hat to people in the know on this subject. Because mm. um, you know covenant Lord and cultic boundary, everyone rallies around the covenant Lord expression. You know because because Christ is covenant Lord, therefore let's get into politics and let let's mm-hmm. redeem society and let's do this mm. and 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 Klein came along and said, well yes he is covenant Lord. But hang on, there's this boundary, there's this cultic boundary. And there we're thinking of cult and culture, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the difference between sacred and secular, the difference between the holy and the non-holy and so forth. And because, you know, Christ is covenant Lord, we have to respect where he himself put that boundary mm. so as to obey him properly. And so that the book is really a giant question, I think, as to where is that boundary exactly, you know, in light of this ongoing discussion between Calvin and his um, interlocutors.
0: I think that is actually super, yeah. super helpful. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, yeah,
1: I like the title. It's a great title. I, I, yeah. was,
0: I spent a lot of time on it. So don't <laughs> just- <laughs> well, thank you for dumbing it down for somebody who doesn't have a PhD. I have a I have a demon. You know, demons are meant to be
1: exercised, right? <laughs> now, that doesn't matter. What matters is if you're classically educated or not. Okay. Uh,
0: that's the theme no, of no. this episode yeah, i no. guess I it's guess. a fail
1: for both of us maybe no. i was not classically <laughs> educated no not at all so
0: that makes me want to say then how did you get interested in all this stuff
1: i mean well i was you know in south africa it feels like everyone is a, a christian you know at some level right. um what they they claim to be you know and um um how did i you know that that's how i got into it um I, there is uh in new zealand this this a front of, of secularity and mm-hmm. it's, it's totally not Christian you know in every level and so to plant a church in New Zealand in Wellington of all places mm-hmm. really left you with the question okay what exactly do we have to do you know about this thing staring us in the face mm-hmm. uh, do we do we have to do we have to transform mm-hmm. redeem this culture is that our job uh, and if so how uh, Theonomy? Do we get into politics? Mm. Uh, that seems crazy. Uh, do we make Christian movies? You know, that seems lame. <laughs> that seems really stupid. It's, especially, you know, having become a Christian at the age of 20, I really didn't buy into Christian, um, subculture at all. And, uh, uh, you know, Christian bands and so forth, Christian businesses, it just seemed like a crazy idea. And I remember reading, uh, Michael Horton, Where in the World is the Church? Okay. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if you guys have you read that? Yep. Yep. You, you yep. heard that one? It was like, Oh, it was mind blowing, and I think that more than anything else probably started me down uh this this track of just wow, so it 's okay to actually just do the thing you're called to do as a church planter mm-hmm. and um and then uh you know be salt and light in in the world without having to kind of get all overkill with this stuff and um I feel like that really has has you know helped a lot in church planting mm-hmm. and in ministry. And then uh, it it sent me down this track to Klein, who was, you know, obviously at the at the base of all of it. And the first time I read Klein, I felt like I was doing something wrong. You know, it was so good, I Mm -hmm. I, I felt like there was there was a problem here.
0: So (laughs) So I just kept going. (laughs) So uh, before, how about let's how about if you explain what Two Kingdom is? So um, Yeah. yeah, we'll talk more about the contrast, what it isn't. You've already mentioned theonomy, but what is Two Kingdom?
1: Yes. Um, well, you know, in the book, I talk about the Two Kingdom Project, which is, you know, just a way, it's maybe not the best title, and maybe the, you know, people in the Two Kingdom Project don't appreciate that particular label, but but just as a way to distinguish it from the broader historical Two Kingdom mm-hmm. paradigm. And the, the reason that's necessary is that you see right from the beginning in the church, um, you know, New Covenant, you uh, I mean, we're talking early church history, Didache, Epistle to Diognetus, or even Augustine's Two Cities, or City of God, Mm -hmm. even Luther's stuff. None of that is based on covenant theology, but it's there. And Mm -hmm. it's very Two Kingdom uh, in the sense that it's trying to navigate what the church is, the kingdom of God is doing in the world, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But it's not based on covenant theology. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was around uh, the Dutch Calvinist stuff and maybe 20th century, really, Neo-Calvinism, Uh, for the first time, I mean, I would say even Kelvin and m- many of the post-Reformation scholastics kind of stay within this basically two kingdom rubric, but they're not not—they're not basing it on covenant theology. They're just kind of working within the existing paradigm. And then the Dutch guys come along and they go, wait a minute, we reject all forms of that two kingdom broader traje- trajectory of thought, that mm-hmm. whole thing. We reject it. It's all dualism. And then the reformed two kingdom project in many ways is a kind of... Response to that, where it's saying at two fronts. At a historical level, you know, you've got guys like Van Drunen coming along and saying, all right, just be aware that although people only think in terms of a kind of Dutch neo Calvinism now that rejects this two kingdom paradigm, yes, just be aware that that has not been the case throughout history. So just be aware, everyone, just hold that in mind. Mm-hmm. And then at another level, what the two kingdom guys now are doing within the reform camp is they're presenting a, a very distinct form of two kingdom theology that is based on covenant theology that that was not luther's thinking or thinking that went before it it's in line i think but it's it's um it's distinctly based on a certain kind of covenant theology and here's what it is it it says that uh christ you know who is lord again the covenant lord rules Mm -hmm. over all but he does so through the means of two distinct kingdoms that are regulated through two distinct covenants the one is a Common covenant, common grace covenant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. leads to the regulation of a common kingdom and then the redemptive covenant, covenant of grace, which is, you know, governing the eschatological kingdom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and so again, there you can see that that covenant basis very clearly.
0: Good, yeah, good. That's, that's super good. insightful and helpful. So there's the Lord the, the Lord Jesus is king over all, but he administers yes. his sovereign reign in two different ways. Is that right to say, or is there a better way to say it?
1: Yeah, I mean his kingdom. I mean covenant, king, covenant and kingdom are so related because Mm -hmm. you know the king is going to be the king of his kingdom, right? Every kingdom's got to have a king, and and then a covenant is just an administration of the king, uh, you know, the way that he administers his kingdom. So so yeah, I mean if you've got two covenants, you've got a twofold administration of the kingdom by the king. So it's all it's all very wrapped together. Got it. Got it.
0: That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So. You've mentioned neo-Calvinists. Um, they're not going to like the Reformed Two Kingdom project. They're going to be no. sparring partners. Who else is not going to like uh, <clears throat> Two Kingdom? Man.
1: It's a lot of bad news on that one. Well, let's start with good news. I'll tell you who d- who does like the Reformed okay, Two Kingdom good, stuff. Good, good. Yeah. Uh, the Reformed Baptists are usually good with this. Okay, you know why? Because they they kicked all that theonomy stuff out when they changed the Westminster and turned it into the 1689. Okay. You know that that's they're like, okay, there we go, done deal. We've we've covered that ground already. And you know it's funny. Uh, so just what, what you're, you're this, saying is
0: that David van Der Ryn and and R. Scott Clark, they're both actually closet Reformed Baptists. Well, I'm saying nah. that they, Scott, <laughs> that's for they, you. They, I know you listen to the of <laughs> That was just to, just to get your dander up.
1: Uh, uh, and if you are listening, uh, Scott, I'm not a, a 1689 federalist, so just uh, just just to have that out there as well, yeah, just so yeah. that you don't. <laughs> um, so uh, the um, you know the, the they were forced. It's interesting. It, it's a whole other thing, actually. But but you know the Reformed Baptists were kind of forced into a two kingdom perspective, whether they liked it or not. You know mm-hmm. they were being kind of forced into disestablishment, so it was very easy for them to see that their local church gatherings that were being kind of persecuted were mm-hmm. not you know, the, the magistrate and the, the thing was different. And it's, it's really a fascinating study on its own, right? And the other thing that happened that was really interesting, I got a kick out of this, all the theonomists that were, you know, slamming the the Clanians mm-hmm. would always lump them together with the Baptists. The so mm-hmm. Clanians and Baptists got lumped together by the, by the theonomists. I got a real okay. kick out of that. Okay. Um, but, but that, that I suppose leads to the bad news and that most of the reformed world, unfortunately, I think it's because of the influence of, of mono-covenantal thought, uh, Dutch Calvinism, holistic worldview theory, transformationalism, all these things have, have maybe even COVID, has kind of kicked into you know, government telling churches what to do and it's exasperated the situation a bit. But most uh, most are are, are not um, very keen on this idea of the Reformed Two Kingdoms. In fact, I think the pro- probably the person that would tell you that uh, most clearly is David Van Drunen himself. He's had to bear the brunt of that. I mean, I'm always amazed. He is such a... He's, I mean, anyone who's read his material will know he's this balanced, careful, nuanced thinker. He just does such a good job with everything he writes. And then you see these nasty responses come along, and, and it kind of gives you an indication for where people are at in the yeah. reformed world yep. against the Two Kingdom yeah. idea. But um, he's super man, kind. I, I, he's
0: super kind. And yeah. what's interesting to me is he's a friend of the Pactum, a personal friend as well. He's, He's so burdened, I think, for so much of this because of things like the doctrine of justification. Mm. The, the, yes, they're gospel issues. I, otherwise, I don't think he would have as much passion about all this stuff as he does. And I think the same is exactly. true for you. Um, yeah, yeah. So I appreciate yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So talk, totally. So so theonomists don't like two kingdom, and theonomy's on the rise. Maybe it's also yes. because we're we're tired of you know where our culture's going, not just with COVID and government telling us right, what to do, yeah. but we we want people to be to more, you know, better behaved. Um, right. Right. In America, yeah. we say, you know, the culture is going to hell in a handbasket. So maybe theonomy has the answer.
1: It's so and, funny though, because when I go to America, it feels like I've stepped into a Christian world. Hmm, really? You know? Interesting. Yes. And then I come back to New Zealand. I'm like, oh, here's real life. You know, this is, this is yeah, actually how it's meant to be. <laughs> you okay. know, I, I feel like I have, you know, it's just a hundred years down the line in terms of, uh, okay. you know, where, where America might go, <laughs> but it's still, I mean, it's uh oh, man. Come and visit. You'll see what I mean. <laughs>
0: wow. So, so you've mentioned Meredith Klein a couple of times yeah. and we like her here on the Pactum, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? She and, she and Lorraine Bettner, are some of our oh, favorites. that's yes. funny. Okay. <laughs> Those are my girls. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, tell us about him. Meredith Klein actually is a him. Yeah. Uh, we like to joke yes. about that, but why? Okay. Here's an important question. Why recruit Meredith Klein for helping you to promote two kingdom Reformed Two Kingdom theology. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Contrary to theonomy, contrary to John Frame, contrary to Neo-Calvinism. Yeah. Why, is, why do you want Klein in your corner?
1: mm just a quick one. I um I tried to name my I just had twins. I wanted we had a boy and a girl. Mm. I wanted to at least name one of them Meredith, but my wife <laughs> wouldn't let me have any of that. Oh. Not even not couldn't even give. I mean, I had an option, boy or girl, but it didn't work oh, anyway. what? It, um, I, I think the Bible says he who finds
0: a wife finds a good thing. So congratulations <laughs> on having yeah. twins, and praise God that you have a good wife.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, Meredith Klein. Um, so for those who don't know, yeah, he was this brilliant, brilliant scholar, Old Testament guy. Um, even his enemies acknowledged that point. Uh, he 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 died about 16 years ago, 2007 Um, but brilliant, brilliant scholar, did some heavy-hitting work on <clears throat> ancient Near East and stuff, which we won't get into now. Had this long uh career um in in you know, the Westminster Seminaries and um Gordon uh Conwell as well. Um but he was. Why you want him in your corner? I think is that he took Gehardus Voss's biblical theology, mm-hmm. and uh, you know took it into 2.0. You know he 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 just moved that thing forward in ways that developed what were definitely within the the conceptual resources that Voss had put on the table. Mm-hmm. But things like protological typological eschatology, uh, Klein just came along and, and just moved that forward like a hundred years. Um, the holy and the common, the distinction between the two, he gave this really awesome, fresh exegetical punch to, to everything that was being said about, uh, covenant theology. So a lot of what we were talking about the other day, Pat, just a, a good theological, exegetical undergirding mm-hmm. to, to covenant theology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically, you know, cause what he was saying, things that were saying were sounding really different from another big authority, John Murray. And, um, and they were moving in different directions. And eventually this thing sort of takes a life of its own. And you got Klein versus Bonson, who's kind of a student of Murray and Klein versus frame and Klein versus Norman Shepard. And, and all of this, this, uh, back and forth and polemic, uh, one way and another, um, led to a decent amount of material from which the two kingdom guys now draw, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of their fodder and a lot of their understanding, uh, that most of them were students of Klein. And, um, and why that, why Klein's covenant theology in particular was so helpful was that he made this, he showed that there was this parallel between uh, the covenant of redemption mm-hmm. and the covenant of works in the garden. And they were both meritorious and they both had a this eschatological reward and they, had a work to enter into rest. And, um, and part of what Adam had to do uh, was involved this cultural mandate, right? This cultural task. Mm-hmm. So, So, you know, if it's true that Adam failed and then Christ as the second Adam has now come to do what the first Adam failed to do, and he's doing the, and he has done the cultural, he has dominion now, um, then it's very, very dangerous for us to come along and, and go, okay, well, hang on, we want to pick it up from where Adam left off. Mm -hmm. And um, we want to carry on with that cultural task that, you know, as if Jesus didn't even come, you know, and as if he didn't succeed in what he did. So Klein makes that point very, very clearly. And then, together with that, he uh, takes he takes Israel off of the table as a kind of norm for the for the church today, you know, saying that Israel was this unique thing, you know, it was echoing what was going on with Adam, it was foreshadowing Christ, there was something unique and eschatological happening there. It's definitely not what the church should be, you know, aspiring to be politically right now. And he he helped us to see that. Um, then uh, the final thing. It, it, I think this is where Van Drunen really just charges with this point where Klein basically takes uh, the doctrine of common grace and roots it into the Noeic covenant mm-hmm. and shows how that is so important to, to be clear on. And, um, I think Vandrunen has really just, just, uh, developed that in, in ways that are, you know, more in line now with natural law and so forth, but, but, uh, just very important for, for showing the validity of a two kingdom idea. Mm.
0: So why did you, um, let's not leave that alone yet. Let's talk about the, the dominion mandate, the mandate that Adam <clears throat> had. Um, yeah. If, if we think somehow Adam failed, we all know Adam failed, failed. If yeah. we think somehow now we need to pick up that ball and do it ourselves. Uh, yeah. And we don't see that Christ has done it. What's, what's the adverse effect? Why is that so tragic
1: and, and problematic for us? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it, it it gets to the heart of what's behind this, language of redeeming culture and so forth. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a lot of the squabble, and this is kind of why, this is really why I wrote the book, I think more than any other reason is, you know, you'll have one one blogger come along and, you know, and shout, well, we shouldn't use the word redeem for culture. And another guy says the the opposite thing. And then, then they're all, they're all very heated about this and no one really understands why. Mm-hmm. But as you get further and further into it, you realize actually with this language of redemption <laughs> It's, it's kind of important. This mm-hmm. is, you know, we use that language when we talk about the gospel. So to redeem culture, you got to be very, very careful with that. That That's like, you know, are you saying that you you are doing something that a lot of Christians will understand only Christ can do? Mm-hmm. Um, and, rightful,
0: and rightfully so. Only Christ can yeah, do, right?
1: Exactly. And and so, you know, then there'll be a lot of nuance and pushback and and so forth. Well, by redeem, we mean X, Y, Z, and we don't mean this. And okay, fine. You know, if, if there's a sense in which we only want to engage with culture um, in a way, you know, so let's let's use the example of, of the moral law, right? Mm-hmm. So as Christians, hopefully it's clear to most that, well, this is not always even that clear, but, but hopefully it's clear that, um, you know, we're not going to pick up the Ten Commandments and try and engage with it as a covenant of works mm-hmm. because Christ has fulfilled that for us. Mm-hmm. And yet there's some sort of role that the law continues to play for guidance, uh, normative, so forth. Well, you know there might be a similar thing that can be said for culture in the sense that Christ has achieved the mandate mm-hmm. uh, and, and now there 's an ongoing normative reality in the cultural mandate you know that that, that could be said but there again you're not you 're probably not going to use the language of redeeming culture and you 're probably going to be very much more careful with with uh, what, what the the call to Christians and churches is but that 's exactly where the problem comes in. You read some of these um, neo Calvinist books and they 're not careful with the language. And they're, they're really, uh, they're, they're making it sound like if you do this work, then you will live, you know, then you will enter into eschatological glory, you know, so church, it's time for us to just get to it and get into politics and redeem culture and make more Christian movies and start Mm -hmm. Christian businesses and start Christian bands. And, and eventually we will enter into this eschatological reward, which is just, you know, even if a, a lot of them don't mean it as outrightly they're, they're using language that even near Calvinists now are starting to realize is a little bit, um, mm. a little bit reckless. So, mm. so a lot of that is, you know, uh, geared to, to address that particular issue.
0: So you talked about Israel and the uniqueness of Israel. That was a big thing for Klein. Some yeah. people are going to hear it and they're going to hear it wrongly and think, Oh, unique uniqueness of Israel. That's, that's dispensationalism. All uh, oh, right. Is that, yeah. Yeah. are we talking about a uniqueness of Israel like dispensationalism is or, in some other way and, and talk about typology and and uh, what we do mean by that.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, I, it's interesting though because Klein has been referred to as a kind of crypto dispensationalist and I, and I think that um and it does I think a lot of what Klein says is actually quite helpful people making a transition from dispensationalism mm-hmm. into reform theology Agreed. because he is more guarded with those things you know reform guys just want to flatten the whole thing out typically and you know we are israel and, and so forth and mm-hmm. and let's kill the amalekites you know that's where <laughs> that's where you get <laughs> into theonomy basically and um and a client is going hang on uh, no 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 that is not that is not the way there's much more uh, multiformity in the story of Scripture—it's progressing. There's mm-hmm. unique elements that we have to account for. There are elements of discontinuity. So, as Baptists, you know, we're we're seeing a lot more discontinuity than Presbyterians um, and other reform guys. Uh, but even you know, with that with that one aside, you've got. You know, even if you're all, you know, Peter Baptist, you're you're still seeing elements of discontinuity and and having to figure that out. So Israel is just one of those things. You know, it's kind of like how unique is Israel? Now, everyone agrees there's a covenant of grace. It's one one people of God Mm -hmm. uh, running straight through. No one's putting Israel out, you know, in some different people category that are completely discontinuous with the story. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're saying that there are elements of their national uh, geographic typology. Uh, their corporateness um, that are specific to what God was revealing about what Adam failed to do and about what Christ would succeed in doing. Hmm.
0: So in a reformed Two kingdom project, from your perspective, we're we're never to try to go back and make every nation on earth, you know, Israel's. Um,
1: Yes. That'd be a big problem.
0: They had a unique purpose, um, a unique purpose as, as the unfaithful son that would anticipate the, the faithful son. Right the Lord yes, Jesus Christ exactly. it's meant to point to him,
1: uh, yes so it's one, and even things like um you you know what what Klein drew out was this thing called eschatological intrusion, in that you know the the, the blush passages in the Old Testament where they go and exterminate the Canaanites basically as a theocratic army uh-huh. you know every everyone has to talk about that with unbelievers, and everyone has to think about those mm-hmm. passages. What exactly does that mean? Mm-hmm. well, Klein showed w- what it meant was that, you know this is this is now. God crushing the head of the serpent. This is what it looks like when the theocratic king returns with his theocracy, which will be, you know, it's going to be a theocracy at the end. And then Mm -hmm. everyone against the king and his kingdom is going to, you know, face his wrath and Mm -hmm. uh, the imprecatory Psalms reveal this, you know, so, so, so the idea is not to start, uh, uh, you know, theonomy and try and like wipe out the unbelievers right now. It's to pray for the return of Christ, you know, mm-hmm. and to to understand that there is there is a, a hell to pay, literally, and there is something uh, that's going to happen as as Jesus, the true Joshua, enters into the land with his host of heaven, and uh, and you know what we have in Israel is a giant glimpse of what's coming, like the flood, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, you wouldn't try and repeat the flood, even though we can't anyway. But you shouldn't try and re- repeat that, <laughs> that, uh, that, that conquest either. So, Mike, you use the label eschatological intrusion to, to
0: describe yes. what you're talking about. I like that. But yeah. will you just slow down a little bit and say, okay, here, here's what eschatological intrusion is. I, I don't want our listeners yeah, to miss it.
1: No, no, totally. Um, you know, think about eschatology. We think about what usually, you know, it's the doctrine of the end, right? Mm-hmm, um, yeah. Even though that's probably not the best way to look at it. But there, there it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of... Um, typically people think about that thing that's going to happen right thing at the end of the story of yep. the bible when jesus returns and so forth um well it intrudes every now and again it's almost like uh as klein i think put it um you know it's like it's like heaven can't wait at some level and mm-hmm. and and, and to give us a sense of what's coming to help us to be thoroughly warned. And Mm -hmm. so that, you know, we have no excuse in terms of uh, uh, seeing these patterns as we go through redemptive history. Uh, It's like heaven intrudes into history at these various points. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. The flood would be one such intrusion where there is a kind of end of the world at that point, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the heavens above and the heavens below unite in the waters Mm -hmm. above and the waters below. And, and it, And you have the end of the world and then the entrance into the new world. Um, That's a, that's an intrusion uh, of eschatology. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, same thing. Um, And and then we're saying that this, um, this Canaanite conquest, you know, Joshua with his army, uh, that that wasn't just some random army that, you know, we need to try and copy, you know, Mm -hmm. like the crusaders Mm -hmm. did or something. Uh, But rather we are, we are seeing that as a picture of heaven intruding into history.
0: Mm. I think that's excellent. Yeah. We can make sense. It it helps us to make sense of the whole Bible and probably in a way that's more sane. And it does acknowledge the uniqueness of Israel. So for our Pactum listeners who are dispensationalists, hey, come on over. As we like to say, Mm. the water's warm. warm. (laughs) (laughs) We have a special special place for Israel uh, in a different sense. Oh, so how about if you had a relative, a uh, niece, a nephew, a friend, an uncle, and they are fed up with culture and what's happening and all of these things, and uh, mm. they were introduced to Doug Wilson, and they're thinking about becoming a theonomist, mm. uh, the Reformed Two Kingdom Project Covenant Lord and Cultic Boundary author, Michael Beck, uh, is going to take a walk with them, and, and what are you going to say to him? Oh, run, run like the wind, (laughs) run, Forrest, run. (laughs) Uh, uh,
1: You know, I'm from South Africa, right? So actually, you know, interestingly, I mean, I've got to make sure I don't get into trouble here, but thinking about relatives that are a little too close to the economy, I mean, uh, you know, I very much, I was 15 years old when um, Nelson Mandela, became president and I was at a kind of military school in South Africa, Mm. uh, at the time. And, you know, very much the old South Africa and a lot of apartheid going on there. Mm. Um, but you know, what was interesting and now looking back on it, uh, is fascinating because, you know, that was all the, it wasn't quite theonomy, Mm. but it it was Dutch Calvinism, you know, kicking in Mm. neo Calvinism had, you know, it was, it was the air that we breathed at that point. Um, and, uh, it, it was, it was going the wrong way. And, you know, theonomy is kind of like a, like an application of neo uh, Calvinism in the area of politics. Okay. And so it was very, very close to, to what was happening, uh, in South Africa at the time, in that you had, uh, you know, they thought of themselves, South Africans were, white South Africans were Israel and South Africa is Canaan. And so, you know, what do you do with the Amalekites? You know, you, you've got to do something with them. Well, we go and have a look. We've just been talking about it. So uh, enter in, you know, uh, apartheid and all these sorts of things. Now that's oversimplifying it. There's more going on there. But but the, the point is when I'm thinking about someone who uh, is, is toying around with this, mm-hmm. often I want to highlight to them, hey, we've actually got some real life examples of, mm-hmm. of <laughs> you know, it's not like this is a completely abstract idea. This is we can we can look at how this has worked out in history. And the crusades is another one, I think, uh, where, where it just, are you sure you want to be part of something like that? Mm. Um, because it is, this is why I send people to as well, because, you know, I think he more than anyone else says, listen, as a, as a believer, you've got a decision to make. Mm. What do you do with unbelievers? Um, do, do you want to, do you want to get rid of them? You know, is that, is that your task? Uh, Now, or or is that the task of Jesus when he returns, you know, (laughs) um, or, or or is it your task right now to, to preach the gospel, to endure with much suffering, uh, even if you're losing the culture war to turn the other cheek, uh, is, is that, does that ring uh, more of a bell as to what we're supposed to be doing, um, you can't do both. You can't exterminate the, the mission field and, you know, get out there as a missionary, as Klein says, you've got to choose.
0: You're doing a good and, job. Um, you're, you're doing a great job asking questions. This is good, right? You're just not, yeah. I, I, I like the format even. What, what if they say, but I've been told that every square inch is the
1: Lord's. Yeah. Well, you know that because he is the Lord, You should obey his word. He put a a cultic boundary in place. He is covenant Lord and there is a cultic boundary. So ironically, the people who are claiming the the covenant lordship of Christ Mm -hmm. are not listening to what the covenant Lord has said about this. Hmm. You know, so just listen to what he says about what you should be doing and then respect that boundary he's put in place for a little while longer. You know, there is a little, Mm -hmm. we have to suffer for a little while longer, but as goes the king, so goes the kingdom, you know. Jesus died on the cross. That wasn't winning the culture war. You know, he was killed by the Romans. And, uh, you know, are we better than the master? You know, those sorts of things are important mm-hmm. to, to think about. Klein actually does mention that, you know, you got to be very, very careful of blaspheming the work of the spirit over the last 2000 years, saying that, that the church loses when we lose the culture war. I mean, that is just not the way it's happened. You know, the blood of the martyrs Good. has been the seed of the mm-hmm. church. Yeah. So, and, and that's huge, so Mike, why
0: do you think so many theonomists um somehow promote a form of justification by faithfulness by faith and yes. works um, why, yes why why is that
1: that is because of this thing at the bottom of it uh mono covenantalism, mm-hmm. I would say um you know more than anything else um it's It's basically the denial that there is um a, a covenant of works concept Um, it's called mono covenantalism because there's one covenant it's kind of all splurged together Mm -hmm. everything is by grace Um, uh, it's as as they put it everything is grace constitutes it and then law regulates it so uh, there's no eternal covenant that's a works-based covenant there's no uh, there's no garden covenant that works it's all just one big covenant that is by God's condescending grace and then law regulates it so Adam was in by grace and then he had to do a, a really Good job, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, he ends up in trouble. Um, and then Israel, same thing. They're in by grace, and then listen. Blessing lies in obedience. So if you if you obey, mm-hmm. then you're then you're blessed. It's no different for the for the Christian. Uh, that's why we we have to follow the same political strategy. Mm-hmm. But but it's also true that we follow the same sort of uh, covenantal strategy in that you're in by grace. Now just do the best you can to get to the blessing of God. Mm. And, uh, and you know, that's the problem. So this is why you're
0: so passionate about, you know, the, the classic doctrine of the covenant of works being a covenant of works. Yeah, um, I am and, and, definitely. And not, and not mixing law and gospel because yes. you ruin both of them. Uh, but yes. so many times, uh, dear listeners, even pay attention. Um, even recently, uh, Bonson's son came out and, basically said, absolutely, my father was behind Norman Shepherd, and he believed yeah. in a form of justification by faith and works. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. problematic, and it's probably tied to having to carry out the dominion mandate, something we have to do, again, confusing our work with what Christ does. These issues yeah. become really important, and they actually mm. become gospel issues,
1: mm. uh, wouldn't you mm. say? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that reference to Bonson's son is in the book. So there we go. There's a little play. There, there you
0: go. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Maybe shifting gears a little bit. Uh, I, I'm looking at Mike Grimes across uh, the studio here and he looks like he wants to ask a question about what in the world multi-perspectivalism <laughs> is. So Mike, why don't you ask about that? Yeah. What is
1: multi-perspectivalism? Who promotes it? That's in the book too. Yeah. Who promotes it? Why don't you buy it? Explain that a little bit to us.
0: Because I, um, I don't understand it and I've read a lot of John. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: uh, it's Help uh. Do we out. have to. Do we have to talk about this now. I don't think we do. <laughs> <laughs> just, no, I'm just joking. Let's do the elevator um, pitch. Yeah. Quick, yeah. Two it's, minute. It's John Frame's brainchild. Um. So he's you know, and Vern Poitras is um right. is the other guy behind this. Uh, he was a student of Frame. Um. So so, again, it flows from this idea in in uh, Frame of the Covenant Lord, right? So there's the Covenant Lord piece again. That's the rallying cry, covenant law, therefore, perspectivalism, uh, which is very different to what uh, Klein is saying, because, you know, for frame, the theology that we have to be doing is the application of the word to all of persons and all of life. And and the idea is if Christ is covenant law, then every part of the word needs to be applied to every part of our lives as the people of God. And so what he does is he comes up with this like system uh, or this method of interpretation which he says is kind of unfolding uh, out of God's lordship. You can see it in the, in the Bible, control, authority, presence, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then he comes up with these, these perspectives, the normative perspective, the situational perspective, the existential pers- perspective. And, um, and this is the method. You use this, uh, you use this, this rubric created by this, this uh, triad in God's covenant lordship to apply his word to all of life. Okay. And uh, just to show you how slippery this gets really quickly, I mean, the normative perspective is not the Bible. It's, it's my perspective of the Bible. Hmm. The situational perspective is my perspective of the context to which my perspective of the Bible is to be applied. Uh, the existential perspective is the perspective of the person who's making their perspective of the norm in their perspective of the application, <laughs> you know, and so forth. It just gets crazy. As Scott Clark said, this is uh, I thought this was great. He said it's kinda like they wrote the rule they've, they've created this game, they wrote the rule book, and they're the only ones that know how to play the game. <laughs> you know, so it's it's completely rigged. You know, you could use it to prove whatever you want. Um I so you know, Klein said again that it makes a kind of perspectival hash out of everything, basically. Okay. And mm-hmm. so you you're not you're not you're not keeping these Vassian forward movement, uh, for, forward movement elements in in, in a historic uh, unfolding in play you're not you're not holding the covenants as they emerge uh in, in an important place in your interpretation you're okay. you're rather just seeing everything as kind of smushed together as one one law That's basically just being applied in different situations, dependent on how you sort of perceive that situation. So it's really it's it's dangerous, I think. Okay. Well, we we brought it up because it is in your book, and I know some people uh,
0: have have appreciated John Frame, and so maybe they can actually use your book to see maybe
1: he's not the. Let me say this, um, you know, with John Frame, I think he's a really uh, his philosophy is excellent, his ethics, you know, it's, it's very good. In fact, even his. Perspectivalism. I think if you just kept it in the realm of ethics and epistemology, it actually kind of does work because it it makes the 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 different teams, uh, you know, within that uh, field of knowledge, it makes them play together and see each other's perspectives. It just doesn't work as a method of interpretation in biblical theology. That's my only problem with it. Just just to kind of help people out there. Yeah,
0: got it. Good. Anything else you want to throw in when we we're talking about the book? We're going to spend a lot of time together here in a few weeks. Well, I mean,
1: you don't have to buy it because Pat bought them all. So, (laughs) um, you know, I'm I'm good. Uh, (laughs) 40 copies is like way more than I ever anticipated. (laughs) So (laughs) So, so it's like I've achieved a life goal. It won't
0: fund the college fund if we only buy 40 copies. So we'll need to buy more of them. (laughs) Yeah, we will. But I think lots of our listeners actually will want to buy it. And maybe they won't read it from cover to cover but they yeah. can read portions of it, sections of it. Right. I, I love the yeah, fact. Good that you yeah, good reference. You do great with conclusions and, and introductions. Yeah. And in so many ways, uh, the book ends up being um, like like a dialogue back and forth, right? Because you yeah. end up having uh, Meredith Klein and then you present him and then you present his opponents and then the back and forth. Um, it, it's, very, it's a fascinating read. So yeah. highly recommended on the Pactum. Awesome. Yeah. We'll make Thank sure you. to put a link in the show notes. All right. For sure. Mike, thanks so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, pleasure. Thank if, you. If you want to be in touch with Michael Beck, you can find his church website, gracenet.co.nz, because it's New Zealand. You can also find the website for Two Age Sojourn. Age, You can edit that, Mike. Yeah. Two Age Sojourner, and it is twoagesojourner.com. Also on Twitter, Two Age Sojourner. You can find Mike's book on Amazon uh, and... We'll link to it in the show notes. for sure. great. Yeah, awesome. you can find
1: us online on Instagram and Twitter. You can be emailing us, connect at thepactum.org. Thanks for joining us here on The Pactum today. We'll see you next week on The Pactum.